Hey, really quick before we start the podcast, if you're a returning listener, we would ask that you would do us a favor and rate and review the show. We are not big at asking these things, but we're really working hard to get our podcast in the top of the health and nutrition category, not just the top 100. And I think this takes less than a minute to drop that rating and review. So if you could do that, we would really appreciate it and love you for a really long time. All right, guys, let's dive in and start the show. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators, and this is The Food Code. Happy Wednesday, everyone. We just had some technical difficulties over here. Shocker. Oh, my Lanta. Leave Becca and Liz alone in the basement with all this tech stuff, and we're disasters. We've had, we've had to podcast the last couple of weeks uh, over Zoom just because of life and kids. And anyways, here we are. We're back in the studio today, and we are excited. We just wrapped up an awesome interview, and we have several podcasts that we're doing today. I know I'm really excited about all of them. I am too. I just really am excited about like the direction that we're heading and really finding our passion and groove with what we want to do. Um, and the best part is we're the owners of the companies. So we get to <laughs> choose what we do. <laughs> <laughs> no one else that matters. Um, just kidding. Everyone matters. Um, no, I was reading a book about this and it was uh, not about this, but it was in Sustain Your Game and they were talking about you know, he had been a coach and an athletic trainer for a really long time. And he's like, I kind of started to lose my, my passion. Like I still loved it. I still loved what I was doing, but like I lost my fire. Um, and I, I, I feel like that was kind of starting to happen. Like I, we love working with nutrition. We love working with helping people understand, you know, calories and macronutrients and all that stuff. But like, it was kind of starting to become mundane for me. And I just, I, I'm so, excited and intrigued and just want to absorb so much information. Liz and I were actually saying like multiple times lately, can we pause time and like take 10 years to just learn everything? Because the more you learn, the more you realize like there is to know. Um, Or we just go down rabbit holes. We go down such big rabbit holes. Um, But they're really good rabbit holes. And uh, yeah, it's just been a fun season of growth. And I think if we look back like a year ago, both of us looked at each other one day and we're like, we're just feeling burnt out um, yes. because we absolutely love what we do with our clients, but we were getting to a place where it was a lot of repetitive conversations and not doing what we actually want to do, which is helping people who don't feel great, feel amazing. Yes. And it's hard in this line of work, I will say, because people don't like to be patient and healing journeys take time and it mm-hmm. takes time. You know, I have to gently remind a lot of clients that the damage that's been done doesn't just get undone because we've changed some things for 30 days. And I actually love what Lisa Eddy that we just podcast, uh, we just did an interview with her. And I love what she said, you know, regarding like your body is a credit card. Like you pay off the balance, but you still had fees and interest if you, you know, missed payments or whatever. Like you still have to remember that when you make all of these uh, withdrawals from things, 
you have to make deposits back in if you, you know, want to feel amazing. So it just takes time uh, to reverse things and to get your body back to a place that it's doing what it should be doing without all the supplements and the extra support that it needs. So yeah, I'm excited. And we did have a uh, request today to talk about lab work. And um, one of our clients, I love her so much. She's like, so that I don't think I'm dying every time I get my labs done, which I had to chuckle, you know, because here's what we will tell you. We've made this disclaimer several times on the podcast. This is not medical advice. Mm -mm. We are trained to be able to read lab work and decipher and understand lab work differently than your conventional medical system who's looking at ranges, which we're going to talk about. Uh, And we're going to talk about some of our experiences with, you know, doctors and things that have gone missed. We love doctors, by the way. Uh, But there's so much that needs to be done and that needs to be evaluated if we're looking from an optimal view. We're not looking at just like air quote here normal. I am sure that you've seen both of us talking about on Instagram lately, your labs are normal, yet you have all of these symptoms and you don't feel great. That's not normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really frustrating. So to kind of understand how your blood work in like a standard conventional medicine situation is, the normal ranges that are created, by the way, which have shifted over time and have gotten um, larger in a sense and also smaller in other areas. And I'll talk I'll expand on that in a second. But basically, the normal range in blood work is a double standard deviation. And what that means is that 95, if you are within 95% of the total population, you are considered normal. And so, you know, from 0.25, 0 to 0.25 in the front end and 97.5 to 100 in the back end, if you're in that middle, 95%, you are normal. If you are on the outskirts, you are probably very, very sick. Because let's look at what is normal in the world. Pretty unhealthy, I would say. We're dealing with a large epidemic of obesity, type 2 diabetes, autoimmunity, chronic health conditions. Like We're just not doing great as a society. Let's be real. And so we don't want to be necessarily within that 95%. I want to be in like that middle optimal range, that very tight optimal range. And so for you to be outside of those markers, things are probably heading in a not so great direction fast. And so not always. Don't like freak out if you get a high or a low number on a blood work. Usually they're kind of one-offs, randoms. Remember, blood work is a snapshot of a day and a time. It might not be, which is what we're, again, what we're going to talk about, like expanding on this. Um, But blood work is, are you not very sick? That's basically what blood work's telling you. It is not telling you, are you optimal, which is what we want. And hopefully what everyone listening wants. They also have changed some of the ranges when it comes to glucose um, and fasting glucose and have actually made it you know, closer and closer to normal for you to be diabetic and then go on insulin, which mm-hmm. I think is a little bit of um, government influence. And I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here. Little bit of the drug companies influencing. Um, oh, oh, you mean because they want to make money? Oh, they they need to be profitable. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, maybe. I see. Oh, I see maybe we're shadow banned now. Um, but that has also shifted. So now there is, you know, let's be honest. There's more and more situations where people are going on medication that probably isn't necessary. We're going to get to cholesterol here in a little bit. Um, so yeah, there the ranges have shifted over time to also basically be more sick. Like you can be in the normal range and be pretty not well. Yeah. So this is what I always say to people just to like dumb it down really fast. Do you want to compare yourself to the diseased population or do you want to compare yourself to a healthy population that's going to live a long life and feel good? 
That's a big piece with longevity. I don't want to be 95 years old, but I've been laid up in a bed for 10 years. I want to feel good. I want to, you know, live the longest life possible doing the things that I love and staying mobile and, you know, having my memory and all of the things that we all want, uh, you know, I hope that we all want anyways. Um, And so really fast though, before we go into some of these things, what we would want to say is that it's important for you to have your labs done at least annually. Some people will get partial labs done uh, or health screenings, if you will, for their like insurance and health insurance and whatnot. Um, and they look at a couple of things, but they don't look at all of the things that we are going to talk about today that should be done annually. Um, you know, I think that's a lot of people have started to, you know, shy away, especially during COVID from going into the doctor's office, obviously very understandable, but you can get labs done many other ways. You can get tests done many other ways. Um, and we'll talk more about that, but it is important to see the state of your health at least every year. And sometimes, you know, if you're trending in a direction that's not so great, then it's going to be more frequent than that. Because if you're running protocols like we do with some of our clients, we want to see where the improvements, um, you know, in 90 days or six months and what for and whatnot, um, especially if there's genetic components. So I am of the belief that I would I pay thousands of dollars a year anyway to have health insurance as an entrepreneur. I'm going to use that and I'm going to make sure that my health is optimal and, you know, do all of the things that I can for my family uh, as well to stay in a state of very, very good health. So if you haven't had your lab work done, hopefully this will encourage you to get it done. Yeah. I'm actually getting mine done tomorrow morning. I haven't, I, you know, when I, I've basically been in an OBGYN office for the past three years with like pregnancy loss, pregnancy immediately again, baby follow-ups, all of that. So like they asked me if I have a primary and I'm like, mm, not for a few years because I've basically been dealing with my OBGYN, which did my blood work. Um, but I'm very excited because I haven't had like not immediately postpartum or pregnant blood work in a very long time. Um, so I'm getting that tomorrow morning. And there are a couple markers that I unfortunately like didn't think to ask for my experience with my doctor that I went to was a very out of, it was strange. Um, I was kind of at a loss of words the entire time, but that's another story for another day. Well, here's the um, good news. You get to fire your doctor. I do get to fire my doctor. I can find another one. Um, I think it was necessary. I think it was the, the doctor. I don't think it's necessarily practice because I liked a lot of stuff about their doctor's office and what they included. But anyways, um, Typically, what is run on an annual blood panel is going to be a CMP, which is a complete metabolic panel. So a complete metabolic panel will look at glucose, it will look at creatinine, sodium, potassium, chloride, CO2, calcium, protein, bilirubin, um, liver markers. I know I'm probably just like speaking gibberish to a lot of people right now. Um, I'm sorry, liver markers, (laughs) different types of... um, nutrient deficiencies, alkaline phosphatase measures, kind of like a zinc deficiency, stuff like that. So a CMP, complete metabolic panel, a CBC, which is going to be a complete blood count. um, And that's a panel that kind of evaluates overall health of the person, detects wide range of disorders, including anemia, infections, leukemia, um, stuff like that, that measures like the white blood cells, red blood cells. A lipid panel, which we all know of, is going to be your cholesterol, your triglycerides, your LDL, your HDL. um, And then typically they will do a thyroid panel, which is really just going to be TSH. Um, they're not going to, you might get T4 free in there, but you're probably not going to get a full comprehensive thyroid panel. Um, and then usually you have to ask for things like vitamin D and B12, which are separate tests. Um, iron is usually not included. That's something you'll probably have to ask for to get like, an, you know, anemia markers, iron saturation percentages, transferrin, ferritin levels. Um, and then A1C, 
is another one that a lot of times they will not run necessarily. And that is more so the past six months, in essence, average of your glucose. So are you, you know, heading towards diabetic, um, insulin resistance levels, stuff like that. So the main ones that they will run again, CMP, CBC, a lipid panel and thyroid, you usually have to ask for the other ones. Yes. And I think it's very important, you know, if you are experiencing symptoms to advocate for yourself, if your doctor doesn't want to add some of these things on, fire your doctor and find somebody who will help you because Mm -hmm. lab work is very cheap. I mean, if you have a good insurance plan, I mean, we have clients that will pay out of pocket because they just don't even want to go down the route of having the argument with their endocrinologist, like why they won't run free T3 or test their TPO antibodies. You can do it for a hundred bucks online. Honestly, my copay is 40 bucks. By the time I go there and have this conversation and come home, that time spent, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just pay a hundred bucks out of pocket. So, you know, two things. You can always fire your doctor and find somebody who you feel will actually listen to you and validate your symptoms and help you dig into things. Um, And the second thing is there is a saying with blood work and that is treat the patient, not the blood work. And so blood work is a snapshot in time, as Becca mentioned. It gives us a story of what is going on in the body. So like she said, don't freak out because one marker or another is out of range, but you should be understanding, you know, with the person that you're working with and your provider, what do those out of range markers indicate or, you know, what do they mean? What is the plan of action? Should I be changing things? Because I will tell you guys, I have gotten, you know, my labs back several times from I'm in the similar situation. I actually just called uh, yesterday to get a referral for a PCP because I don't have a primary care either. I've just been going through my OB. And so they called me back and gave me some recommendations. Um, and I do think that, you know, that's also important for you to have just in case, you know, things are you know going on. But with my OB, they would call and they would give me, you know, kind of a... <laughs> Anal, like I don't know, like how to say it, um, a general rundown of this was fine, this was fine, this is out of range. But then I got the actual paperwork back, and I'm like, huh, there's like three or four things on here that they never mentioned that were out of range on the normal. But I guess if it's not something that's super concerning or that you can medicate, they didn't need to me- they didn't need to mention it. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is I know how to read labs. And so part of me wants to ask them, did you see this? And do you know what this means? Because some of the things were indicating for me low stomach acid. They were never brought to my attention. And that pisses me off. And so that's why I'm going to go to a different doctor. Here's the hard thing, guys. And again, as Liz and I will always say, I know it sounds like we constantly bash doctors. Doctors have a scope of practice. They stay within that scope of practice. Unfortunately, doctors do not know how to differently treat a thyroid condition if TPO antibodies come back high or if reverse T3 comes back high or if these markers that require a slightly different approach come back out of range. They know how to medicate TSH. That is what is diagnosable for hypothyroidism. That is the scope of practice doctors work within. Is this something that I can medicate or prescribe something to help with whatever markers are out of range or symptoms that they are having? And so, yes, is that kind of crappy? Yes, it is, because we want to be helped as a whole person, obviously, which is why we believe in the holistic route of medication, diagnoses, you know, nutrition, lifestyle, everything, because it looks as the whole body. And so don't hate on the doctor so much. Just understand like they're staying within their scope of practice. Unfortunately, they aren't going to be able to look at a trend on blood work like we tend to look for blood work with. Like when we look at someone's blood work, I'm looking at, okay, 
are multiple liver markers slightly out of range. That's a flag to me that the liver seems like it's probably struggling. Oh, and you're also dealing with skin issues. You're tired all the time. You're not going to the bathroom. All of those symptoms also indicate there's something going on with the liver or the gut or whatever it might be. And so that is how you need to correlate these things. And like Liz was saying, Blood work is a start. Testing is a start. A lot of people love testing. We love testing. We utilize it a lot. But as an individual, you need to then know where to go with it. You need to know, okay, I just got my blood work back. What can I do with it? I just got my lab work of I want to get a GI map or a hormone test or whatever it is. Okay, but what are you going to do with it? Like You need to know how to approach the healing protocol that usually comes with it and what to do if that healing protocol doesn't go exactly to plan. How do you make adjustments? How do you make pivots? Which is why we are so advocates of working with a professional on these things and why we do this with our clients because we're so passionate about it. Like we don't want to just have, oh, here are your blood markers that are out of range and you feel like shit, mm, but they're not too out of range. So come back in 12 months. Yeah. Like when you're in a disease state and you're ready for medication. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, about some things that you can look for if you've had panels done. I'm Mm going to talk about some digestive markers that you can look at um, that would tell you if you have low stomach acid, which also would uh, indicate certain mineral and vitamin deficiencies. Then Becca's going to talk through cholesterol and (laughs) some of the Mm. things to look at there and genetic components and so forth. And then we'll talk about uh, thyroid briefly. We've already done a podcast on thyroid, but we will discuss that. So When you get uh, your annual lab uh, work back, what you can do is you can start to look at your CBC and your CMP to see are any of these things out of range that may indicate that I have low stomach acid, which also can indicate that I have uh, vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So we're going to do a whole podcast on... um, stomach acid and the importance of stomach acid, hydrochloric acid, because its job is to protect you from pathogens, to detoxify your food, to help you break down, digest, and absorb your food. And that includes turning it into usable substances such as vitamins, minerals, electrolytes, amino acids, and so forth. And so we see stomach acid decline as we age. Fun fact that they won't tell you, uh, if you have heartburn or you have acid reflux, and you've probably seen me posting about this, uh, it's actually due to too little stomach acid. Nine out of 10 people or over 90% from the research tells us that you're more hypochlorgic, meaning that you have too little stomach acid. Only one in a thousand are actually hyperacidic with too much stomach acid. So that would be something that I would want to know because again, that's going to impact my ability to absorb nutrients. It's one thing to ingest and eat the nutrients. It's a different thing to actually absorb nutrients. So what can we look at here? So first we would check your MCV level. This is your mean corpuscular volume. This is a measurement of red blood cells. So on your complete blood count, you're going to see red and white cells. Those are all in you know your general health testing uh, by your doctor. And we want that level to be below 90 in order to have a normal blood test. We always want to strive for normal, if not optimal, okay? Um, And so MCV will uh, read higher uh, as your HCL production declines. So it's above 90. That is an indication of low stomach acid. And one of the reasons that this MCV value rises is that there is also a vitamin B12 deficiency. So there's a few key vitamins and minerals that go hand in hand. It's like a vicious cycle. For example, with zinc, we need zinc to create stomach acid, but we need stomach acid to absorb zinc, right? Same thing with um, our B12. We need stomach acid to be able to absorb B12 because that also relies 
on something known as the intrinsic factor for absorption. Okay. And that is produced in the stomach and it's dependent upon HCL. So you guys can see the circle here. So this would be considered a high MCV again, if we're above 90. Um, and the bad thing is that this can happen and it does happen uh, with age. Stomach acid declines as we age. So HCL levels also decline and that causes intrinsic factor levels to decline, which causes poor absorption of B12, which causes our large MCV values uh, to be high. Okay. And so that's why we look at MCV to get an idea if you potentially have low stomach acid. And again, we're going to be doing podcasts all about this. There's other blood values that I will just briefly go through. I'm not going to give you all the readings and the rundown. Becca and I have gone through a lot of courses and uh, education to read tests. That's why we do that for our clients. But you can see this low stomach acid uh, on other markers, including your total globulin, your mean corpuscular hemoglobin, your mean corpuscular hemoglobin concentrate, your red cell size distribution with your RDW um, and your blood urea nitrogen, your bun. And so if any of these things are out of our ranges functionally, this tells us that we are low in stomach acid. There is a need to increase stomach acid because that also in turn will impact your zinc, your vitamin B12, your vitamin C, vitamin E, all kinds of different vitamins and minerals for you to feel good. And that downstream impacts other things such as cholesterol. Yeah, so cholesterol's tricky because cholesterol is something again that is a very scary thing to have out of range. Obviously, it's been associated with heart disease and cardiovascular risk. Um, but couple things to consider. Um, conventional lipid lipid markers, so like I, you know, cholesterol, LDL, HDL are actually not super accurate predictors of cardiovascular risk. So the most recent research has shown that these markers, the total um, cholesterol and LDL, are not really that strongly associated with heart disease. The ratio of total to HDL, as well as non-HDL, which is similar, are actually better predictors than total cholesterol or LDL cholesterol. Um, but they are nowhere near as predictive as some of the newer markers, like LDL particle number. Um, so in turn, you know, Lipoprotein A or LPA, these markers can tell us these little lipoproteins that travel throughout the bloodstream, um, what are their sizes and what are their counts? Because if you think about it in this way, you know, you have these big balloons and then you have these tiny small bullets. The bullets are going to be more damaging to those arteries. And so that is the particle size and the particle number that you want to be keeping an eye on because those are tend to be more indicative of are we at a risk for cardiovascular episodes? Um, and then what we also look at is triglyceride levels too. Um, triglycerides are very indicative of if there's liver dysfunction or liver stress because our liver processes glucose, it processes all of the things that need to be detoxed through the body. And if the liver is not doing well with processing those carbohydrates that turns into glucose within the body, it will pump out high levels of triglycerides. We often see triglycerides being high correlated with things like insulin resistance, glucose issues, um, intolerance to carbohydrates, inactivity, and other health issues. So I really like triglycerides as a very large indicator, not necessarily total cholesterol, because guess what? Especially with females as they age, total cholesterol tends to go higher. And we've done an entire podcast on cholesterol before. Um, you can go back and listen to that, but we, a large part of it is believed to be because 
Cholesterol is necessary for hormone production, and as we age, hormone production declines. So the body is making this effort to increase cholesterol production to help aid with the low levels of hormones. Um, And what we like to look at actually is like underlying causes of high cholesterol versus, okay, your cholesterol is high, go on a statin. Guess what? Research also shows that statins are really not that effective with prolonging lifespan for people that have high cholesterol. I believe what it was six weeks, I think yeah. was the study. It was something obscene, like statins prolong lifespan by six weeks of people that go on them versus not. Um, so in my opinion, not worth it. And there's also another correlation with people that go on statins also are more likely to develop type 2 diabetes and be on um, insulin later in life. So underlying conditions that tend to drive cholesterol issues, metabolic dysfunction. So you are glucose intolerant, you are insulin intolerant, um, you are basically not having sufficient use within the cells of energy. Your cells are sluggish, they're not properly working. Chronic infections, so viral infections or things like H. pylori, um, which is a certain bacteria that kind of burrows itself into the stomach lining, um, a large population percentage have it uh 50 to 75 50 to 75% of people have it um so it, in a lot of people it lays dur- dormant but if it's active it can cause high cholesterol um gut dysbiosis permeability is number 3 that's another large cause of high cholesterol um poor thyroid function and it doesn't necessarily have to be like hypothyroidism it can be subclinical hypothyroidism or the thyroid is just not completely shut but it's just under functioning um so in fact back in the 80s and prior to that before statins came onto the scene in a big way doctors used to use low doses of thyroid hormone to treat high cholesterol when the patient had relatively normal thyroid numbers um so fun fact but fifth thing environmental toxins again because what do environmental toxins burden the liver what does the liver manage Lots of processes that are affect affect cholesterol, um, and then the six is genetic. There is, I will say, a small portion of the population that cholesterol, unfortunately, is just genetic. Um, you will have higher numbers. It is something that you can obviously manage with lifestyle, with health, you know, input and fitness, and just a healthier approach to life. But we look at okay, cholesterol numbers are high. What does that tell us? What else is going on? What does your lifestyle look like? What does your intake look like? What does your gut health look like? What does your liver health look like? How can we approach it from that sense? Yes. All right. So let's talk about thyroid. I'm going to run through this really quickly because we also just talked about this uh, in the podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago on hypothyroidism versus Mm -hmm. Hashimoto's. But when you're getting a full thyroid panel, you want to see your thyroid stimulating hormone. That's the messaging that your brain is sending uh, to your thyroid to stimulate uh, TSH, your total in T4, which is your inactive thyroid hormone, and then your total in free T3. Okay. So this is really important. Sometimes you're going to see total T3. Sometimes you're not. Um, So it kind of depends upon the lab, who's placing the order. And then most of the time, unless you are seeing an endocrinologist and they're running everything, uh, they will not run free T3, which is kind of crazy. And your free T3 is the active thyroid hormone that circulates your body to be utilized when it needs. And then if it's not utilized, it gets turned into reverse T3. So those things we definitely would want to add. And then also looking at your antibodies. Okay. So your antibodies can indicate whether it is an autoimmune uh, condition, be it Hashimoto's or grave disease. It could also be indicative of thyroid cancer. Um, If we're looking at TPO antibodies, so the antibodies I just spoke about, that's your thyroglobulin antibodies, your TGB or TGAB. Um, There's another antibody that you can look at, um, which is your TPO 
thyroid paradoxides antibodies. Um, and this is its measurement of the amount of antibodies produced by the immune system to attack TPO, an enzyme expressed in the thyroid gland, which initiates the synthesis of T4. Okay, so when those are high, that can be indicative of hidden infections, heavy metal toxicity, hello liver burden, certain nutritional deficiencies, hello low stomach acid, uh, inflammatory foods, all of those things, as well as gluten. Okay. And so what's frustrating for us, and you guys have probably heard us say this over and over again, is it's really surprising and frustrating that free T3 is considered an unnecessary test since it is the most active, most essential thyroid hormone in the human body. Okay. So it's important, but it's controversial. If free T3 levels are also significant to achieving, you know, true thyroid status, thyroid hormone balance in thyroid therapy, it would mean that at least 40 years of medical education and clinical practice based on TSH and T4 alone have been blind and, you know, not considering the evidence. Okay. It's crazy. It is crazy. And so if that's true, there's a false medical ideology, you know, that has been going on for years here that could have harmed millions of patients on T4 therapy unnecessarily and unknowingly. So the professionals who maintain guidelines would obviously have a vested interest in maintaining a strong bias against T3's role in hypothyroid therapy. So again, know your practitioner, know who you're working with. For us as nutritional uh, practitioners, we never diagnose anything. These are things that we would have you refer out to a good endocrinologist or a functional doctor, depending upon what's going on. All we can do is review your labs and tell you, here's the trends that we see. Here are things that you can do in your lifestyle, such as remove gluten, because it looks like we're trending towards a disease state. Our goal is disease prevention, not treatment or there's never a diagnosis. It's to help you optimize so that you can feel good and prevent these things from turning into, as Becca was saying before, type two diabetes, because now they've brought in the range here of what is considered normal until you're ready for this medication that we're going to make millions of dollars off of. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad and it's so infuriating. I just got to bring one more thing up. And then I know you're going to talk about the other alternative tests, but I've been posting about this book that I am reading. It's called Why Stomach Acid is Important. Um, And, you know, obviously you guys know gut health is like my passion and my um, area of expertise, but it's so enlightening as I'm going through and I'm reading these stories that he's talking about. And what's so infuriating, guys, is he talks in the book about the fact that research is so strong. They know that heartburn, acid reflux, and GERD is due to low stomach acid, but The supplements out there to support this that are natural and the ways that you eat and the food that you eat and all of these things that can help you naturally don't make the $7 billion per year that PPIs and antacids alone make in the industry. And so they have, you know, obviously no ethical values, but they have no reason on their end to show this evidence because it's basically just hidden under the sea of advertising and patent meds. So the industry sponsored research that, you know, these companies fork out millions of dollars to do, even though there's thousands of research reports. um, And he shares a lot of that in the book. So grab a copy of that book if you want. But it's infuriating when you dig down into the stuff, kind of like Becca was saying with the statins, the pharmaceutical industry makes so much money off of these things. And they do not have our longevity of life and health in mind. 
Yeah. Um, so Dr. Huberman is a neuroscientist. He has an amazing podcast, if you want to listen. And he discusses basically science and science-based tools for everyday life. And he's talked about the thyroid before. Um, and he basically, he says T4 is actually somewhat useless. Mm-hmm. Like you want, obviously you need levels of T4 to create T3, but like knowing your levels of T4 without knowing your levels of T3 free and, you know, reverse T3 potentially in TPO antibodies is essentially useless. Mm-hmm. So, cause you don't know what you're converting. Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, your gut and your liver are responsible for converting T4 to T3. So what Those we can always, <laughs> what we can always go back to is that the gut, all diseases begin in the gut. If you got a mm-hmm. thyroid issue, you most definitely got a gut issue. Oh, yes. Okay. So alternative testing. And this is where, as practitioners, we work with clients on potentially implementing alternative testing, because unfortunately, conventional testing, although can be helpful to an extent, typically does not show us what we want to see as like root cause issues. Um, So we love the GI map. So the GI map is basically showing you a snapshot of what is going on in the colon in terms of what is the gut flora? Is anything overgrown, under producing? Do you have low levels of good gut bacteria that you need to protect the gut against bad bacteria? Are you dysbiotic instead of, I think that word might actually be made up. Do you have dysbiosis in terms of bad bacteria overgrowth? Are you dealing with any pathogens, parasites, you know, H. pylori? Do you have good detoxification capabilities? Are you reacting to gluten? There's a lot that the GI map shows us. Um, it's a stool sample. And a lot of people say like, oh, well, I could, I'll just go to my GI doctor. They will not run a GI map on you. They will maybe potentially do a colonoscopy, which is essentially only really going to show you, do you have inflammation? Do you have polyps? Do you have cancer? All important things, but Why? Why do you have inflammation? Why have you developed polyps? If you even get, quote unquote, the diagnosis of IBS, which is actually just another symptom, it is not an end to what your problem is. It is a symptom for what is going on in the gut. What do you do about it? How can you approach it? And so that's why we really like the GI map. Um, The Dutch test is a... um, urinary hormone test. So it is a dried urine test. And a lot of people are like, well, I got hormones checked with my doctor. Everything looks fine. The problem with blood hormone levels is that blood hormone levels are essentially showing you just a fraction. So hormones, when they are in urine testing, are in a water-soluble form after they have been prepared for excretion. In blood, you find hormones that are actually tied up to proteins, so they might not necessarily be usable. So for example, testosterones, well, testosterone will often be bound to something called sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG, and then there is a small portion outside of that that is free. The free fraction is the only fraction that is actually available for the conjugation process that makes that hormone's way into urine. So the urine forms are the best reflection of your overall hormone level and the bioavailable hormone levels. So that is why the urinary test shows us metabolized hormones. How are we metabolizing them through different pathways? What are the free available levels of those hormones? Um, Cortisol can be a little bit different. It is in of itself a water-soluble enough to find its way into the urine. So the free fraction of cortisol is a really good reflection of systemic circulating bioactive cortisol, um, which seems to be the most relevant in research. So basically, serum testing is a very skewed view of what your hormone levels are. We want to know like, what is your body actually using? That is what is shown in urine testing. Um, We also do a hair and mineral test because if you get, for example, magnesium tested in serum, your blood levels of electrolytes are basically the 1%. 
That is like your backup, backup, backup plan for if things go really bad. If your blood levels of electrolytes are low, you're in for a really bad situation and you should probably be in the hospital at that point. So we don't really like serum levels of electrolytes um, or minerals. So the hair mineral test is great. That shows it's basically a hair test that you cut off like from the very base. I remember when I did Mm -hmm. it, I was like, uh, and then I went and got my hair cut like six months later. She's like, um, what did you, you have do? Like less hair here. <laughs> it's like, so it shows essentially a span of mineral levels across the past six months. Um, and again, what is available? What have you been burning through? We also run a metabolic wellness profile, which is a snapshot of like the liver function um, that tests bile levels which if they're spilling over into high amounts in the urine, which it's a, it's a dried urine t- sample, shows us that basically the liver is overburdened. It shows us 8-OHDG, which is an oxidative stress marker. Um, and it shows us, us indican, which is a protein digestion marker, basically an indication of leaky gut. Um, mucosal barrier testing can show us, again, leaky gut indications. And we also have access to things like wheat zoomers, gut zoomers, which are a little bit more in-depth into do you have... Um, wheat intolerances and what types of wheat, because there's actually a lot of different types of wheat that you could be sensitive to. Um, so we like alternative testing because it gives, a, again, a lot more of like, okay, you're having these symptoms. Why? What seems to be driving them? And then in turn, how can we approach them with a protocol situation? So like, like I talked about earlier, that's the most, I think, frustrating part for us as practitioners is we obviously do a lot of education and research to be able to help people um, based off of test results. Test results are a start. They're essentially showing you what is the current state of the body. Okay, what is the bulk, though, that needs to be approached? How do we fix that? Like, how do we go about managing potentially supplement protocols? How do we manage if those supplement protocols create reactions for people, which many people, they do have reactions because the body is just simply not in a healthy state when they're doing these things. So that's why we, like Liz says, do not DIY your health. Um, Do not trust Dr. Google because your body is unique. You need to know what types of reactions mean what, how you approach healing, um, which is a journey in and of itself. It absolutely is. And we're going to do a podcast on this on Friday, but I'm so passionate about this whole DIY thing because I see so many people like using Dr. Google and they think that they're dying and then they see all these ads for supplements and like you guys, the algorithms are freaking smart. Oh my gosh. I was uh, searching for mold-free coffee, which we'll do a podcast on this, I'm sure at some point in time. Um, and I was looking at- Do not very Starbucks. Uh, yeah, Starbucks is <laughs> I out. I it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> Starbucks is out, but- um, Anyway, so I was, you know, looking at a few different websites and I was kind of comparing and just looking at things and all of a sudden I opened my Instagram app and my Facebook app and there's mold free talk, you know, coffee, like all of these things popping up. And so what happens is when you're Googling certain symptoms, one, Google tells you that like the worst case scenario is there. So we all know not to do that. Uh, but what you will start to see is that then you're being targeted uh, for products that are correlated to the symptoms, maybe mm-hmm. that you like resistant weight loss, for example, or estrogen dominance, right? All of these things. And it's never a good idea to just like trust these advertisements uh, for supplements or even your friends. I'm going to be honest, guys, like we have a lot of people who start with us that have a cabinet full of supplements. And we're like, Mm -hmm. where did you get this? Who recommended it? Why? What's the quality? Well, my friend told me about it or my hairdresser or the bartender or whatever. You are not her. 
you are you as an individual and that may or may not be helping you. <laughs> um, and so I would err on the side of not putting things into your body that you don't know for sure are going to be helpful. And even when we have reactions with our clients, you guys, as practitioners, we are trained to understand what's a healing reaction and what's a reaction that maybe the person is like allergic or we need to scale back uh, the protocol a little bit. So that's why we also, you know, titrate things in. You don't just go take the full dose of something. You got to titrate it in, see how I do with it, work your way up with something. Um, I did this a lot uh, when I was going through my gut healing protocols and some of the things that I did, you know, back in 2014 with layering these things. And, and so that again, like I can't agree with Becca uh, more. We can't shout it louder to, you know, you guys don't go out there and just buy these tests like Everlywell or, you know, random hormone tests. And then, then what? Yes. And then DIY your health and look up like, oh, I have low cortisol. What should I take? And then you're taking like a mixture of a bunch of different botanicals and calmers and stimulants, and you just have no idea what's helping and what's not. And so there is there is a method to healing, you guys. And a lot of it comes from understanding how the body might respond to that healing. And so yes, you are an expert in your body, but you might not be an expert in how to approach healing the body. You know what you're feeling, but what does that feeling mean? So Again, please, please, please find an expert, find someone to guide you along this process that is knowledgeable, educated, and cares. Like that is a huge part of it too. If you're going to a doctor and they give you a protocol and say, see you in three months, like that's not very helpful either. Even though now you have a protocol to follow, like what if that protocol doesn't go well? What if you're not feeling well? What if you just don't feel like it's the right fit for you? Mm -hmm. um, that's again, why we work so differently with our clients. Like we are on one-on-one -on -one calls with our clients every other week going through these processes with them so that they feel supported. They know if they have questions, they can come to us. Um, it's and just, you know, we created it in a very specific way. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say here is not everybody gets all of these tests by any no, means because no, you might no. be like, oh my God, that's thousands of dollars, right? There is so much that can be done foundationally to support somebody, you know, healing their body without a lot of these tests. There does come a point though, where when we've tried different protocols based upon, you know, all of their symptoms, because we also listen to symptoms more than just lab work. Uh, there comes a point where the test is necessary because we don't want to guess at things, right? So from a foundational perspective, there are six foundations that we focus on getting in place first and fixing those things. And if things are still present or their body is still burdened in some way, then these tests are absolutely important. Um, or if the person's come in and they say, I've done all these things, I've changed my diet, I've, you know, cut out sugar and I've done X, Y, and Z. All right, well then let's not waste our time. We can go straight to the test. Um, so it's kind of up to the individual and their situation and the things that they've done and obviously what's in their financial means. But this is why we do individualized coaching too, because you can't just have a one size fits all program for any of these things. This is also why, as you've heard us before say, you cannot start working on hormones or your liver or all of these things things until you know that digestion's in a good place because it's a cascade in the body and everything is interconnected. So hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully this helps you guys understand a little bit more about testing, lab work, what we're looking at with clients um, and the options that are out there because if your labs are normal and you feel like poo, that is not okay. And that's not a way to live. You got to just find, you know, what's going on. It may take a different test. It may just take a, a deeper, you know, analysis for you. And we see that a lot with um, clients when they come in, we get insight into every organ function of the body through some of our questionnaires based upon symptoms, again, because symptoms are what you experience day to day. And then we make a plan and a protocol, uh, you know, from there, depending upon what uh, is going on. So hopefully you guys are having a fantastic day. We're going to get off of our soapbox 
and we will talk to you guys on. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.